0: Well, here's the sermon summary. I I kind of was wavering on whether I should give you a sermon summary, because then what happens is every week you're going to want a sermon summary, right? And so that's a lot of work. It came this week, and so I'll do my best, okay? So here's the sermon summary for this week. If you remember nothing else, perhaps you can remember this. Jesus doesn't erase God's righteous requirement. He completes it on our behalf. Jesus doesn't erase God's righteous requ- requirement. He completes it on our behalf. Now, there's a lot underneath there that we're going to explain, but if you can just take that away, man, we'll be good. Jesus will be so proud of you if you do. Let, tell me if you've ever been a part of this uh, scenario before, one of the players in this scenario. At our house, uh, one thing that happens a lot is asking for forgiveness, Not Kate and I, but the kids, they mess up a lot, and so they have to ask for forgiveness a lot, right? And so what happens oftentimes is we'll say, okay, insert child's name, you can't do, insert completely ridiculous thing they did, hit someone, tear up their toy, whatever. We'll say, you can't do that, you need to apologize. And so the apology comes like, you know, it's of course 100% heartfelt, you know? I'm really sorry for what I did. What? Okay, and the person responds like this: the person who is receiving the apology responds with "It's okay," and you'll hear Kate and I stop. No, 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 hold on! It's not okay. It's never okay to not love your brother and sister. So it's not okay. Now you can forgive them. You can say you're forgiven, but don't respond with "Okay." It's okay because it's not okay. Have you ever been a part of that? Maybe you've even responded with "That's ah, okay." What Jesus is saying here is it's not okay. Uh, you you wonder kind of why Jesus comes and addresses this right here in the sermon, why all of a sudden he's talking about this law thing. He's coming to say, look, I'm not saying, hey, guys, um, God and I were talking, and uh, I don't think you guys are ever going to actually be able to do the law. Uh, it's been a while now, and there's just, you're not going to be able to do it. So we've come up with a new plan, and it's called just, forgive you. That's not what is happening here, right? We've, we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount, he's blessing these people who are wretched, and, and we said lost and least and last. He's blessing those people and saying, you're the blessed ones. And, and, and you might start to think, okay, so sin's okay now. So it's no big deal. And Jesus comes with this and says, let me, let me clarify for a minute what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's no big deal. I'm not saying I'm starting something new. I'm not saying that at all. Let me tell you more about this law and how to correctly understand it. So the good news of the gospel is not, don't hear the, the, any message that we say. The good news of the gospel is not, hey, your sins, no big deal. God loves you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is your sins are a huge deal, a cosmic deal, like a I I declare war on God deal. Like you're charging at God with a sword deal. But the good news of the gospel is he pulls his son in front of that sword, goes right through him, and then he says, welcome, child, to us. Sin is a huge, huge deal. But praise God, we're forgiven. So what Jesus is going to say here, if you wonder, like I did, that was my first question, why this law thing all of a sudden? Why go into this, like, Uh, theology of the law, you know? That seems like a weird place to do that. He's saying it's the continuation of the story. This is not plan B. This is what we've been, God and I have, have been planning all along. God the Father and I have been planning all along. Now, why does he say in verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, no idea what that is, not a dot, I think I know what that is, is. will pass from the law until all is accomplished. This is what he's saying. He's saying, don't don't throw away the law. None of it's going to go away. Not the smallest, tiniest little bit. Not like a comma, not a space, nothing of it is going away. I'm going to complete every single piece of it. And so what he's saying is, look, all of this This Old Testament stuff, the law and the prophets, that was all about me. That was what I came to fulfill. That was leading you to me. So he says some things in some other places like this. Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is Jesus sitting down and saying, hey, you know the Old Testament writings? Yeah. Yeah let me go through them quickly with you and just explain to you how they're all about me. Man, I, we've said before, but wouldn't it be cool to have that MP3 on your iPad or iPod or something? You know, that would be great. Jesus explaining the old, now we don't have that, but what do we have? Well, what, what we do have is we have the New Testament, the guys who, the, the people who heard these things writing about. We have the book of Acts where they come out with sermons. And what do they say in the sermons? It's the exact words from Jesus' mouth. They're all like, in Acts, they're all like, you know, uh, hey, our forefathers and all these things and the prophets. And it's like, where did they get that information? I don't know where they really got it. They got it straight from the mouth of Jesus right here in Luke 24. Luke uh, twenty-four forty-four. then. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. you got to think the hearers are thinking, uh, come again? You, your name never showed up in those things. Is this guy crazy? John five thirty nine. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them they have eternal life. That is... That and it is they that bear witness about me. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Again he's saying the scriptures, the, the old testament writings, they bear witness about me. John five, forty six and forty seven. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, Jesus says. For he wrote of me. I think, what? This guy's crazy. He never wrote of Jesus. But if you do not believe these writings, how will you believe my words? So Jesus is saying, Hey, Think back. Think back to our history, Israel. Do do you realize there was never a perfect prophet, never a perfect priest, never a perfect king? Think through the whole history of it. Do you see that? You know why that was? Do you see that, that no one could fulfill the law? Do you see that no one loved God and loved neighbor perfectly? It never happened. And that's because I'm the one. I'm the one under which you find shelter from the law of God. It's me. I'm the perfect one who lived the perfect life, who lived the law perfectly. I'm the embodiment of the law. Every single little piece of it, I took care of it all. So this is not a restart for what God is doing. This is a continuation of what He's always been doing. Well, we need to know a little bit more about the law, I think. So... Um, let's have a little Law 101 class. If you actually have your Juris Doctorate, this will not be helpful at all. But I'm talking about the Law of God. Now, when he says Law and Prophets here, I think that's just shorthand for kind of Old Testament writings. But then he specifically says Law. And then after this, the rest of the chapter, he's going to spend talking specifically about the Law and, and restating it. Again, he's not he's not uh, adding to it. I think he's just restating it in a deeper Deeper way. So let's do some some Law 101 stuff. Martin Luther, who's a good friend of mine, uh, leader of the Reformation, he said that this was the most important thing for theologians to understand: the distinction between law and gospel. It's the most important thing for them to understand. The law. Here's kind of the overarching comment that you can stick in your back pocket, and that is: the law always condemns. The law always condemns. It has to. That's its primary purpose, is to condemn. So, three reasons why the law condemns. Just stick with me. I swear this is not going to be all bad news, okay? The law condemns. First of all, it's because the law is rigid. Look at verse 19. Jesus comments about its rigidity or its kind of lack of being able to be bent or relaxed in any way. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. There is no adjusting. There is no tweaking. There is no, I'll take this part, but I kind of, I don't want that part. I'll leave that one. I'll take this, this thing over here because I like it. I'll take this commandment. Great, I'll leave this commandment. There is none of that that's able to be done. The scribes and Pharisees, what they would do to the law is lower it so that it can be accomplished. And so what you're going to see Jesus do in the after this in the rest of the chapter is talk about how they've lowered the law. So an example would be something like love God with all your heart. And um, we might actually do something like this where we lower it and say, well, Nobody can love God with all of your heart. So, you know, I think God's just looking for, like, the majority of time, love God. And and at the other times, he'll forgive you. You know, he understands you're human. That's not the approach. The approach is the demand is love God with all your heart. Period. There's no caveats. There's no adding to that. There's no taking, adding a word, like, mostly in there, you know. It's, It's always always condemning it demands perfection every time you can imagine a coach if he said uh, not that i've been watching a lot of basketball lately but you can imagine a coach if they said you have to make every shot you must make every single shot And you, you know go and the guy shoots like 80 percent, which is unbelievable and the coach says every shot you have to make every shot i can't i can't do it that's that's the role of the law to demand that perfection on you, and then for you to be crushed underneath the weight of it. There are two options when we face the law. You can either ignore it or throw it out, and that's kind of the, the deal where you just say God's forgiveness is baseless, right? Like the law is just done. He just forgives because he's nice. Or you can lower it, and this is kind of like the negotiating terms thing. Like, all right, God, so I can't do 100%, but here's 70-30. How's that sound? That's a good deal, God. 70-30? You do 70, I'll do 30? Okay. Sixty-five thirty-five. Final deal, God. 65-35. How's that sound? There's no negotiating of the terms. It's 100% of the law is required. Verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teach others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Why is he so bent on this law thing and making sure none of it is, is uh changed in any way. Because what happens is the scribes and Pharisees lower the law so that it can be something they meet, and then people don't get the condemnation that they rightly need and, and they feel good about themselves, thus never having a need for a Savior. Do you see why that's such a big deal to Jesus? you see why it's such a big deal that you would not at all touch the law and change it in any way? It has to condemn, let it condemn. So, the law, it's rigid. Secondly, it's revealing. I really wish I could add three R's. I only have two. I'm really self-conscious about it right now, so don't mention anything, okay? I'm growing in this preaching thing, and we'll be there one day when I'm 55 or something. Secondly, the law is revealing, okay? The law is revealing. It's like a mirror, in other words, it's like a mirror, but it's not just a regular mirror. You know, those terrible mirrors that some of you women have that is like regular on one side and then you flip it over and it's got like the 10 times. Why would you ever do that? Like, you know what I want to do? See, is every clogged pore in my face? No. No. That's exactly what the law is. It's like the ten times mirror that reveals to you how absolutely sinful and selfish and arrogant and prideful and hating of other people and God you are. It's the ten times mirror. It's revealing. Romans 7, 7, Paul tells us about this when he says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. In other words, the law revealed my sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet had the law not said, you shall not covet. Isn't that interesting? The law comes and makes demands, and then all of a sudden, Paul says, now I see how wretched I am. Before, I thought I was fine. And then it said, don't covet. And now all of a sudden, all I do is covet. At least all I do, I see it now, right? The law gives us that mirror, that ten times mirror, which shows every sin and every heart motivation that we have. Number three, the law condemns because it's total. Meaning it condemns every area of life. There's no space that you're like doing pretty good over here and not so good over here. You know what I mean? It's completely total. It's not saying, hey, no one is fully righteous. It's saying no one has any righteousness whatsoever at all. It's not like some people are at 20% righteousness. You know, like we don't go around saying, hey, what level righteousness uh, law abider are you? Are you a a silver, gold, medallion, you know, platinum member of the law abiding club? Where are you? And we don't do that. There are no levels. We're all at zero that's where we all stand. You know, like, maybe you just need a law coach. That's what I would be if we, if we could. I would be the law, law life coach. You know, and you'd pay me to help you live the law better. Oh, that sounds horrible. Glad I'm not that. You'd have to pay me a lot of money to do that. No one's farther than anyone else. It, it's, it's kind of like this. Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Now, he could have just stopped there. He says, let me... Let me tell you exactly how wicked I mean. That every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Oh, dear God. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That covers pretty much all the bases. All of it. Zero righteousness whatsoever in these people. It doesn't let, allow any of us to judge. It gets into the nook and, nooks and crannies of our, of our life that we didn't even know where we were sinners, right? We're just, we're, we're born deficient and we don't even see it. And then the law comes along, like Paul says, and it sheds light on it. Here's some examples. Do not murder. Oh, hold on. When I say do not murder, by the way, I mean if you're... Ever angry at anyone else? Anyone? Anyone still standing after that one? Adultery. Oh, but but hold on a minute. What I actually mean by adultery is anyone who desires someone else besides the person they're married to. Hmm. Anyone still standing after that one? Oh, in your righteousness, um, it must be far above the people who are the most righteous people on this earth right now—the scribes and Pharisees. It's got to go. Ten times past, hundred billion times past that. Well, what, do, what does the everyday sinner say to those type of things? It's like, well, I'm done. I, I don't, that, that ship has sailed a long time ago. I'm, I'm done with it. There's no way I can do that. The law condemns. It's rigid, it's revealing, and it's total. The requirement of the law then, in verse 19, the second part of 19 and 20, is full righteousness. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is, is both saying your righteousness needs to be perfect and condemning the people who think they're righteous, isn't he? The scribes and Pharisees are probably like, what? What did you say? Huh? Huh? Our, our righteousness is really good. What do you mean it has to be more than ours? There is no righteousness more than ours. And Jesus says, well, the problem is you need to teach the law, which you're not. You're lowering it and adjusting it so that you can meet it. And then you also need to do it, which you're not, because you don't understand the things I'm about to say in the rest of this chapter about the heart beneath your actions. So that's why you need to be more righteous than these Righteous scribes and Pharisees. So, one fail swoop, he lets the law condemn the lawbreakers, and the law also condemns the lawkeepers, or at least the people that think they are the lawkeepers. One fail swoop, everybody flattened by the law. Now, Jesus' message, the good news, is he says, You and he says that we need a law fulfiller someone to fulfill it for us. The law cannot produce what it requires. That's what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 7. So look at what he continues in Romans chapter 7. He says this, But sin, seizing opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. So the law came, and it actually, it demanded perfection, but it produced actually more sin in me, more covetousness. So, the law can't produce what it demands. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Here's, he's summing it up. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. So, we need more than just it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay at all. I need more than just it's okay when, the con- when, I, when I lay my head on the pillow at night and the condemnation comes. Because the condemnation is not wrong. It's not lies. It's true. So I can't just excuse it away. And my only hope in that moment when the condemnation comes, and your only hope, our only hope, is to not say it's okay. Our only hope is to say, Jesus, thank you for your righteousness That you live the law like I could never live the law. No matter how many chances you gave me, I could never do it. And you lived it in my place. And I know that that righteousness is mine. It's promised to me. It's been given to me. And it is mine. And that's the righteousness I claim right now. That's our only hope in the midst of the condemnation that comes. Christianity, if it's going to be good news, it has to be not just it's okay, Because I know it's not okay. In Christ, it's in Christ we're shielded from the law. That's the only place we're shielded from the law. We're a lot like the scribes and Pharisees, though, when we hear this, okay? So we hear this message from Jesus saying, um, 19, the second part of 19, whoever does them and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. And if you're like me, what, we, what do we think? All right. Monday morning, baby. Woo! It's time to get to that law. It's time to get living it. It's time to get teaching it. Starting Monday morning, 8 a.m. Here we go. 5 a.m. Because you get up early if you're really holy. So I'm going to get up at 5 and start that. That's what we think. i got to think Jesus is saying here, there's only one. There's only one who does that. There's only one who lives the law perfectly. There's only one who teaches it perfectly. That's why... I'm here right now, Jesus says. That's what I'm bringing to you at this very moment, is the proper teaching of the law and the proper embodiment of the law, the proper living of the law. Don't miss it like Paul says later in Romans chapter 9 and 10 that people did miss this. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, meaning it's not a righteousness that they earned or they learned how to live properly. It's attained by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They didn't pursue it as if it was held in Jesus and they were attaining it by faith. They pursued it as if I can attain that thing. And they missed the whole deal. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The sermon summary, Jesus doesn't erase God's righteous requirement. He completes it on our behalf. Now, what is the difference? Other than like some good theology talk, what is the difference to you tomorrow, to all of us in our daily lives, if Jesus actually fulfilled it or just erases it? Like, what, what does it really matter? Well, think about our response in the midst of sin. Um, there is a great distinction that Jesus is giving us here, and that distinction is there's a difference between being soft on sin and being real about your brokenness. That is a tremendous distinction that we have to make sure we hold. A difference between being soft on sin. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's the, that's the, like, don't worry about it. That's soft on sin. What he's saying is, no, I'm not being soft on sin, but I am being real about your brokenness. And you'll never, ever, ever be able to accomplish the law. So are you and I forgiven every single time over and over? Thank God, yes. Does that mean God doesn't care about sin? No. He punished his son. We're going to come into Good Friday and we'll remember how he punished his son. Gosh, he's wrathful against sin. But he's also real about our brokenness and that's why he accomplished it for us. The law condemns us. Our response is not, eh, who cares? Our response is thank God for Jesus who lived that law perfectly so that I might receive love from God instead of the condemnation that I deserve from the law. Listen to this quote as we end from Martin Luther. sums it up well. For God speaks through the law, saying, Do this, avoid that, this is what I expect from you. The gospel, however, does not preach what we are to do or to avoid, It sets up no requirements but reverses the approach of the law, does the very opposite and says, this is what God has done for you. He has let his son be made flesh for you, has let him be put to death for your sake. Praise God for the good news of the gospel. Let's pray together. God we are so thankful for Jesus your law it comes and it just is it's a burden too heavy for us to bear and we cannot go up against it we have we have no defense it just condemns us and we come to you now and 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 we claim the very thing that we always claim in the midst of condemnation and that is our Christ Jesus who bore our griefs and our sorrows who was wounded for our transgressions and who fulfilled the law perfectly and gives that freely to us. God, would you you ignite our hearts again with that truth? Don't let that... Please don't let it just be yeah 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 but let it ignite our hearts and work on our affections and give us a deeper love for you and a deeper love for one another a deeper love for our friends and neighbors who don't know you and don't understand this message let us be proclaimers of the good news of the gospel we thank you and we love you in jesus name amen